for public schools. So school is going back. All the parents say, yay, all right, as all the kids go back. A couple of things to note. Remember, uh, in case you missed it, the first time it was announced, there is pizza after the church, after service today. Um, so once we kind of fray and dismiss, the, the pizza will be in the cafe, and then tables and chairs uh, are set up uh, in the bridge area. So join us for that great time. Uh, a fellowship with the Helping Up Choir. They'll be sticking around and eating as well. And also, uh, I was told there is newsletters about Helping Up Mission at the Welcome Center. So if you want to pick up a newsletter uh, for the ministry of what they do and, and find out all that's going on there, uh, be sure to pick up uh, one of the newsletters uh, for that. Um, so, kind of now bringing it into what we've been doing now for the last few months now, is going through the book of Genesis. Now, today is going to be the pop quiz, so I'm going to hand out sheets of paper, and we are going to see just how well you've all been paying attention. I, don't know, I just thought with school coming up, it was an appropriate thing to announce a pop quiz. Anybody just break out in a cold sweat right now at the word just pop quiz? Because I think I even did it just saying it. So uh, we'll just see. So we're going to continue on in our study. We're going to be looking at kind of the section in, in chapters uh, 32 through 34. Uh, I'm going to be mainly focusing on chapters 32 uh, and 33. And today, I want us to think about the question of what do you do in times of trouble? When life gets hard, well, what do you think through in life as you're facing difficult moments in your life? And I think we're going to see as we look into this section in Genesis quite a few responses for our section today. I believe that we're going to see Jacob on, on a journey. Uh, we've been following his life, and we'll review his life in a little bit, uh, from a time of self-reliance uh, to a time of reliance upon the God in times of trouble. So let's pray and get started with this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a, a joyous time of coming before you. Lord, to lift up songs of praise to you, to hear from your word, to be challenged, to be encouraged. Lord, we're just so thankful for all you've done in our lives, for the past that you brought us all on, all to bring you glory, all to glorify your name, Lord, and be with us this day as we hear these words of yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing, as I said, I, I think we see here is this idea of self-reliance. And I think as we look through the life of, of Jacob as we've been on this journey, that's what we see him doing. We see him continually relying on himself. And let's think about his story, right? Let's catch up on what we've been covering. So the great place to start is his birth. That sounds like a reasonable place to begin. Remember, in Genesis 25, we, we begin this story of Jacob. We, we find out his wife, Rebekah, was barren, but Isaac prays for his wife, and they are blessed with twins. But, but something isn't right. The, the twins are, are struggling with each other, even in the womb. So Rebecca seeks to find answers for what is happening from the Lord, and she is told that within her womb she is carrying two nations, that they will be divided, that the older will actually serve the younger. And again, as an older brother, I don't like that. So the time comes then for the birth, and the first comes out, and it is Esau. 
the red hair with hair like a cloak. Welcome to the world, hairy man. But then I have like a scene out of like a horror film where we're told that there is a hand grasping the heel as they come out, and it is his younger brother, Jacob. Esau, the red hairy man, skillful in hunting, while Jacob, the quiet man, dwelling in tents. I guess we'll see how this plenty of lines as this plays out as within this plot. As we find out, Isaac loves Esau, and Rebekah loves Jacob. That's really starting out this family on the right foot. Get it? Grasping? There is some. There we go. So as time goes on, remember, we, we see and we saw how Jacob would then go on to steal the birthright. Esau is hungry. He wants some stew. He wants some bread. And, and Jacob begins his deceiving ways. Remember, he's already been promised that the, the older will serve the younger, but he wants to take it within his own plans. He wants to see how he can make this play out. So he steals the birthright from his brother. Next, we get the stealing of the blessing. Remember, we get to the point where Isaac is old and blind. He calls out to Esau to, to go hunting, to prepare a meal, and he will give him the blessing. His mother, Rebekah, hears of this plan and then makes a plan for Jacob to get the blessing. She cooks up food and makes Jacob seem very hairy, putting some on him, and then just to make Isaac think that he was his brother Esau. In the middle of all this deception, Isaac even asks the question. He says, are you really my son Esau? There's a way out. He's got a quick chance here, but he doesn't take it. He doesn't, and he receives the blessing. And after all this, now Jacob is forced to leave because Esau comes in and he realizes what has taken place. As he is talking with his father, he realizes that he has again been deceived by his brother and tricked. So naturally, Esau is mad. He is mad and he wants to kill his brother. So Isaac and Jacob tell him he's got to leave. They say, go and find a wife. Rebekah tells him that, look, I'll send word when it is safe to come back. So remember, he leaves. He receives a dream that I preached on a couple weeks ago. And during that dream, he gets the promise that God will bring him back, that he will bring him back to the land. Self-reliance, though. Remember, from the beginning, as I mentioned, God had already said, look, you will be the promised son. You will be the promised one. Yet, he's continually scheming, deceiving, not holding on to the plan that God has told him that he would get. Then two weeks ago, Lance covered the, the part of the messed up family even more. Jacob, as he finds his wife, he finds Rachel, but then he is tricked into marrying Leah. Family drama. And then we get all the messiness with all the kids, right? Each trying to outdo each other like with these kids. This is a crazy family that we look at here in Genesis. Then Laban deceives Jacob over the spotted goats, remember. He wants the spotted goats. Then all the spotted goats get removed. But God continually to works. Then Jacob gets to the point where he's developed wealth, goats, herds, 
and it's time for him to leave. But instead of leaving and announcing his leaving, he leaves just like the Baltimore Colts did all those years ago. And I know it still cuts deep for many of you, even though we have the Ravens now. But in the middle of the night, he decides he's just going to take off from his family. As Lance said, this is a family of deceivers. But remember, through all this, God has told Jacob, I will be with you. And from the beginning, he's given his, his promises. Did all this deceiving need to take place? Why not just trust God to, to carry out his plans? But instead, Jacob was self-serving, thinking of himself. But today, I think we'll see him begin to change. Aren't we the, the same today? Wanting to seek out our, our own ways to bring about God's plan. Carrying out and failing so many times. We think we can do it. We think we can persevere, but we fail over and over in our lives. You see, it's important to remember the dream that he had, that stairway leading up to heaven. As he was leaving the promised land, he was told, look, you will come back here. I will bring you back. And now, as we turn to chapter 32, we begin to see God now bringing about those promises. So if you're there already, turn to Genesis chapter 32, and we are going to now jump in and be joining Jacob on this journey back. Now, in the beginning of this, we're told that angels come and accompany Jacob. Now, we know that angels in Scripture kind of do a couple different things. They're often God's messengers bringing forth a message from God, or we find out in Hebrews 1 that they're, they're God's they're, they're caring for us. They're almost serving us, and they're for us. And I think maybe as he is approaching this, as he is on this journey back to Esau, remember, how did he leave Esau? What's probably some of his last memories of Esau? Probably the words, I'm going to kill you. And now he knows he is on this journey back to see a brother that he says, I don't know. If this is exactly where you want me to be, God, but you're telling me this is where you want me to go. So here we go. And angels come and minister to him and think of all these things. Remember, he left out of fear. And now it's been 20 years. And now we see God's plan falling through and continuing on in this man's life. You see, communication now begins with Esau early on in, in chapter 32. And beginning in verse, verse 4, he is going to send a message to his brother. Kind of, you know, maybe test the waters. What's, what's going on here with my brother? So he sends this and he says, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau. What does he call his brother? He says, my lord. That doesn't sound like a younger and older brother of service. He says, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with labor and have stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. Here he is. He says, Look, I've been gone for 20 years. I know. I'm coming back with great riches, my Lord. I am your servant. Come and accept me. He's trying to test the waters. See what's happening here with his brother. 
So then messengers come back to him and they tell him that, look, Esau is coming with with 400 people. Now, what are you thinking in that moment? You've sent word out. Now you hear that Esau is coming with 400 people. Is he coming to reclaim the blessing? Is he coming to take back the birthrights? What's happening here? So Jacob gets a little worried. He's jumping to the worst-case scenario. How many of us think like that? Anybody else here always jump to the worst-case scenario in life? All right, I guess I'm the only one. So what was happening this week? And this week, Kenzie... Our daughter, going into sixth grade, had her orientation. And if you remember back to last year, if you're a parent of anybody in the Baltimore County Public Schools, you know that the bus system was not that great. So here we are, orientation day. There's only one grade in school. One grade. And at the end of the day, Kenzie will send a text to Christy and say, my bus, I think, is running 30 minutes late. I immediately jump to the worst case scenario and say, the rest of the year is over. If they can't get one day with one grade in school, how are they going to keep buses on time when they have every grade in school? So we are pulling her out of school, we're homeschooling her, and it's just over. I'm not even going to attempt to try. No. See, that's what we do. We jump to all these scenarios. Something happens and we think, oh, no, well, what's going to happen? And this is what he's doing here. He's like, oh, he must be coming to kill me. He must be coming with 400 people to to raid us, to kill us, to get back all that I have taken from him. So again, he takes a plan on his own. He decides, all right, this is what I'm going to do. We are going to split our camp into two. You guys go this way. You guys go this way. That way, if he attacks, at least one of us will survive. How does that make you feel? I mean, either way, look, if he attacks you guys, I'm sorry. If he attacks us, well, you guys can go on and live a great life together. He's plotting here and saying all these things. He's in distress, it tells us in verse 7. He says that he is in fear and distress of his brother. So he is hatching these plans to try and save himself. In all these chapters that we covered before, how many times... Have we seen Jacob seek out the Lord in prayer? I'll tell you, it was zero. Through all of this, he never sought the Lord. But now in chapter 32, we see one of the longest prayers recorded in the book of Genesis. So I think we begin to see a change. Now, as we see this prayer, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect prayer, but as he comes to this, we're beginning to see, I think, Jacob's mind change from a mind of self-reliance through prayer to looking to God. So hear what he says beginning in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. One thing he fails to mention is his own name. And it's going to be important to remember that because we're going to see something later on as we conclude this message. He says, Return to your, he says, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Remember what you have told me, God. Remember the instructions that you have given to me. There in verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds and steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. 
For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me and the mothers of my children. But you said, I will surely do good and make your offering as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Now, as he is praying this prayer, there's various things that I've already mentioned. Remember, he acknowledges God. Oh, God of my father, I'm coming before you. He reminds him, as I said, of those promises. You said these things. You said this, you would protect me. You said you would keep me. Then he admits that he is unworthy. He says, Lord, I, I am not worthy of any of the good things that you've given to me. He is coming and saying these things before the Lord. And then he comes and he prays not just for himself, he prays for others. He's worried about his children. He's worried about his, all these things in his life. He's worried. He says, Lord, they're going to be gone from me. Lord, help me in all these things. He asks for deliverance and protection. And then again, he repeats the promises of God. It's a great prayer, I think, in some ways, and it falls short in some ways, but I think we see him turning to the Lord. He isn't fully there yet, but I think by the end of this day, we will see him fully there. But after he prays, he decides, you know what, I better hatch another plan. So now he comes up with, with 580 animals to give to Esau as a gift. Various numbers of goats, camels, cows, and donkey. And then he tells them this. He says, look, one servant, you go ahead with some of the animals. Next servant, maybe you wait a few miles. Wait until the crowd has gone up a little bit with the animals, and then the next group goes. Then, you know, spacing them out. So the idea, as Esau is approaching, he's getting all these different gifts. Think about it this way. Any husbands ever kind of upset your wife? <laughs> all right, okay. So, here, so think of it like this. Let's say this. You know you've upset your wife. There are various things now that you can do. First thing you'll probably do is maybe you, you'll send candies to her. All right, and you're like, all right, all right, I've, I've done the candy. Maybe next you'll send flowers to her. Maybe flowers purchased from Giant so that we get a dollar back. See, that was, there we go. So look, if you get in trouble over this next month, you're covered and you're supporting ministry. So it's fantastic. If you but we don't get in trouble. So you send flowers. Okay, so now you've done two things. Now you're maybe like, okay, I'm earning points back here. Maybe you come home, then you do a little bit more chores. Again, you're, you're, you're earning all these things. You're, you're trying to get back into good favor with your spouse. That's what he's doing. He's trying to send all these various gifts. So as Esau approaches, he's like, oh, cool. One gift of goats. That's great. Then a few more miles. Oh, more, more, more goats. All right, this is really cool. Then another one, then another one. All, all these things. And by the time he hopes, by Esau approaches, he's like, man, thanks for all those animals. You know what? You stole my birthright and my blessing. All is forgiven. That's what Jacob is maybe thinking here, softening his heart. But then, after this group goes out, we get a very strange happening in the story of Jacob's life. You see, Luther calls this passage with this wrestling with this angel, he says it's one of the most obscure passages in the Old Testament. 
So here's what's happened. Now he is alone. He has sent off his family as well, and he's just kind of sitting there alone. He has sent everyone else away, and then overnight he is involved in a wrestling match with an angel of the Lord. Now, it isn't mentioned that's an angel here in this passage, but in Hosea 12.4, the prophet mentions how, how Jacob struggled with an angel. It is, in fact, even to believe that this is the preexistent Christ, that this is the preexistent Jesus Christ coming in and having a wrestling match with Jacob. This event raises so many questions. Why do they wrestle? Why couldn't the angel beat him? Why go until daybreak? Why put his hip out of socket? It seems like a pretty cheap move to me, doesn't it? If you're losing and you pop a guy's hip out of socket. But all this, Jacob refused to let the Lord go until he was blessed. Now, is this something we should practice in our own life, to refuse to let the Lord go? We refuse to do anything until the Lord blesses us. Is that the lesson we're getting? I don't think it is. And I think as we look at this, as we think of this struggle that is happening here, this wrestling match, that just doesn't fit the context. Let's think about this. Up until this life, Jacob's life has been dealt with deception. And now he's facing a brother that he thinks is going to kill him. He has spent time making his own plans, self-reliance, and now he finds himself wrestling with God. I think the key to all this section is within the name change that he has and with his hip going out of socket. See, before Jacob, a self-seeking, deceptive man can enter back into the promised land, I think God needs to change him into Israel as a man who strives or wrestles with God for his blessing. And that's one of our next thoughts today is how we rely on God in those times of trouble. You see, Jacob represents the nation of Israel. Eventually, this nation will take on his name. Jacob pictures this nation that is going to constantly struggle with God until blessing comes. The nation of Israel won't come to power by its own strength, but instead by the divine promises of God. You see, God needed to turn Jacob into the nation of Israel, into a person and a nation who would rely upon God. And that is what is happening here. In Old Testament times, self-sufficient Jacob could not enter the land until this change. A person who strives with God, a person to who person who relies on God. And when God freed Israel from Egypt, he gave them the law at Sinai because a holy nation was needed to enter into this land. But in the wilderness, what did they do? They rebelled and they relied upon themselves. When they finally entered into the promised land, was it within their own strength that they defeated Jericho? No, Lord says, look, I have given you this victory. In fact, they lose their next battle because they went in their own strength, in self-reliance, not relying upon God. See, then they got all those, the spies right before that. We can't enter this land. We are terrified of these people, relying upon themselves. As Joshua and Caleb came into the land, they were reminded that it was handed over by God. This was not within yourselves. All this happens because they begin to rely on God 
and not themselves. Jacob was a man of self-sufficiency, of trying to plan everything out. Even when his brother was born, he is seen grasping at the heel, desiring to get first. He wanted the blessing. He wanted to be first, so he cheated, and he swindled his brother out of everything. So he needed a change, and this change would make him rely upon God. But then why the hip? Why pop his hip out of socket? And I think it's because it would be a constant reminder of his reliance upon God. Every step he would take would be reminded of that match, would be reminding of him trying to prove himself. And instead, God's saying, no, let me take control. Let me be your strength. Every time it says in verse 32 that they still would not eat the, mess, the, the hip socket, the, the muscles that are there. Why? Because every time it would remind the Israelites themselves of this event. It would remind them of the event that happened to Jacob. And when they would not eat of that and to remind themselves to rely upon the Lord. We receive the kingdom of God in the same way for us today. It is not by our own hard work but is by the grace of God. It is truly a gift from the Lord. That is why Jesus warns us. He says, I, I tell you, it will be harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, somebody who is rich is self-made, self-sufficient, and they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus urges us to, in Luke 13, to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Do we have to work hard to enter into the kingdom? Note that Jesus says, strive to enter into the narrow gate. Jesus himself is the narrow way into heaven. Just as Jacob wrestled with God, we strive and we wrestle for God's blessing. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? The simple answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. It seems so simple, yet it's so difficult for us self-sufficient people to rely upon Jesus alone. But there it is. Look to me alone for your salvation. Don't strive after the things of this world. On another occasion, Jesus warns his disciples. He says, if you don't receive it as a child... If you don't humble yourself and receive it like a child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What do we know about children? They are fully reliant upon their parents. They are fully reliant upon seeking all that their parents can give them. And that's what he's coming to this point. He is getting to the point where he's saying, it's not my plan, it's not my working, it's not my striving, it's not my planning. I'm going to rely upon the Lord. And in this wrestling match, as his life is changed, as his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, as his hip is taken out of socket, he is reminded of that reliance that he needs, not upon himself, but upon God. So what, help, what happens next? After we rid ourselves of our self-seeking, after we look and rely upon God, as the story of Jacob continues, we see that he is still a little bit worried. He's still struggling with some of these aspects. So he figures he's going to put his family into a line. And this is where you want to be the favorite, because he lines them up 
basically from least favorite to most favorite. Figuring now if Esau attacks, he'll get my least favorite family members first, and he has Joseph and Rachel at the end, his favorites. How would you feel if you were at the front of the line? Not too great. So here we have it. Finally, Jacob and Esau are about to meet. He is coming toward him, and now we're told that Jacob is going to bow seven times before him. But something amazing happens. Look at Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Can you imagine how Jacob feels in that moment? Here he is, worried about all that he has been thinking, thinking that his brother is going to come after him and and kill him, kill his family, and get back everything that was stolen. But Esau runs to meet him. He sees all these gifts, and he he even wonders, what was the point of all these gifts? Why did I I pass all these things? And he said, "I, I wanted to find favor. And Esau says, look, I don't need anything. I've been blessed as well, and I don't need all these things. But after some urging, he he finally accepts the gifts. You know, I wish we could know more about what happened in Esau's life over those 20 years. We just don't really know. Did God make him just miraculously forget everything that had happened? I don't think so. But we don't know. It's left up in the air for us to think about what happened. But God was certainly working in his life because he went from somebody who wanted to kill his brother to somebody who openly embraces him and gives him hugs and kisses and they weep. Does it make you just think that God is amazing? That Jacob was so afraid. He was in this wrestling match. A relationship that was broken with his brother is now restored by the power of God. And you know, as we learn to rely upon God, we realize that we can sit back and see God work. We can look and see how he is going to work through people's lives for his glory. You see, then, as the story closed, Esau wants his his brother to come with him. He says, come with me. Let's go. Let me come with us. And Jacob's like, no, 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 I, I I can't go with you. He says, look, I, I, I'll, I'll just slow you down. And Esau's like, well, okay, I'll, I'll leave some people behind. And he says, no, 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 just, just go. J- just go, and I, I will travel. And I, some people think that Jacob maybe is deceiving his brother again here and saying, I will come with you because he actually goes off to a distant other place. But what I think he's understanding now is that he is the child of promise, that his family is the promised family. And if he goes with Esau, he's going to be doing the very thing that we have seen you cannot do in mixing the two families. They were meant to be separate from the beginning. He knew that his family could not intermingle with Esau's family because that's not God's plan. He wanted Jacob, he wanted the nation of Israel to be separate. So Jacob goes off and he settles eventually in the land of Shechem, back in the promised land. God has been true to his word. He has brought Jacob back home. And as we have seen throughout the book of Genesis, he builds an altar. And he calls this place where he builds it 
El Elohoi Israel. And remember in his prayer where he forgets to mention his own name in his prayer, it is here where he says, you know what, God? God is the God of Israel. Remember, there is no nation of Israel at this point, so when he is referring to Israel, he is referring to himself. And he's saying, God is my God. I see the journey that he has brought me on. He has maybe gotten my attention. And with every step that he took with that pain in his hip, he is reminded that God is the God of Israel. While before his life had been characterized by his determination to seize the promises and the blessings for himself, now he sees that the fulfillment is through God and that the promises come not in his struggling and his wrestling with God, but in relying upon God and letting God carry out the work. Worship team, you can make your way back up. I smelt the pizza. No, I'm just kidding. Worship team, you can make your way back up as we get ready to close for this morning. So I come back to the question. The question that was raised in the beginning is, and how do you, what do you do in times of trouble? Are are you seeking your, your own path like Jacob, trying to plot and scheme your own way to victory? Or are you coming before God and relying that you need to stand upon him? That you need to end that struggle, you need to end the wrestling with God and just let God go and let him do what he is going to do. Once you rely on God, you can see him work. I can tell you from my own life of how I have gotten out of the way so many times just to let God do his thing. So is God trying to get your attention? Is he wrestling with you in your own life to bring you to the point of reliance upon him? Maybe you need a prayer. Maybe you need to come before him and think upon the things that he has brought you through, the things that he has promised you, a prayer of unworthiness, a prayer of asking God for assistance through those times of trouble. He was so afraid to go back to his brother so worried about what might happen. He was jumping to the worst-case scenarios. Instead of relying on God and saying, you've made these promises. You said you would bring me through this. Let me rely upon you. Let me trust you. And let me see you work. Let's get out of God's way sometimes and just see the good things that he can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day in which you've given to us. We thank you for a time of worship. We thank you for a time of hearing your word. Lord, help us to to get out of the way. Help us to not seek our own self-reliance, but to seek and rely upon you. Lord, be with us this day. Be with us this week. Lord, be with helping our mission as all the great things that they do for the men and for the women and for the families, Lord. We praise you and worship you, and we thank you for the lunch which we are about to partake in, Lord. We thank you for this blessing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.